0: Tell you all time about Boyer's Coffee. I love my Boyer's Coffee. I start every day with it. Boyer's Coffee is the original, legendary Rocky Mountain Roaster. Roasting right here in Denver at altitude makes the coffee super smooth and most importantly, local. Coffee is roasted daily and delivered fresh weekly to your grocery store. Or you can do as I do. I tell you every time, reach out to boyerscoffee.com and that will allow you to get coffee shipped right to your home. You can order a variety of coffees that uh, are not necessarily in the grocery store. So that's a great way to do it. And if you're up north, go see the food truck. They have great promotions going each and every week. They're at 73rd and Washington. BoyersCoffee.com Spring is fully here. It's time to clean up your to-do list with built-in-America steel, chainsaws, blowers, trimmers, and much more. That's S-T-I-H-L. Steel chainsaws, blowers, trimmers, and much more—from routine maintenance to total makeover—your steel dealer has the powerful tools and trusted advice you need to make your yard a masterpiece. So visit your local steel dealer, Hector's. Ten thousand plus around the country. Again, that's S T I H L, and you'll see the full lineup of legendary, built-in America equipment. Find yours at steeldealers.com. S T I H L. Steeldealers.com. This week on the Drew Goodman
1: Podcast, columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and former Denver Post columnist Ben Hockman on the first round series between the Avalanche and the Blues.
2: It was as simple as the Blues player made a potentially illegal hit on Rantanen and how much one fight can affect all 18 guys all the way through the organization
1: plus ben talks about the generational love for the st louis cardinals in the midwest the vitriol so many fans have for politics and sports how players react when you report negative things about them and drew and ben will talk about
0: this guy how's that nolan Arenado guy doing uh, in st <laughs> louis and how well was he received this is the drew goodman podcast Hey everybody, welcome to podcast number 98. Glad, as always, that uh, you've joined us. I'm taping this on a late Tuesday evening because, and this is what's weird, folks, with the Rockies on the road in the east, the games start at 5 o'clock. Normally, and we haven't used that term in a long time because nothing's been normal for a long time, I'd be in New York, which is one of the great things about my gig and so fortunate and privileged I mean that to do that. But, you know, I love to travel. I only don't like to travel when I'm missing one of my kids' events, that sort of thing. But I I enjoy going to the great cities in our country. And New York is at the top of the list. I'm from there. And so I miss being there. But having said all of that, now we're doing games on the road out of the studio for the foreseeable future until Major League Baseball says broadcasters can travel. And that means we go down to our studio in the middle of the afternoon, and then the game you know, is at 5 o'clock. And so by the time I got home, it was, I don't know, it was after, I don't know, it was probably 9.30, 9.45. Uh, tonight I grabbed a little bite. Now I'm taping the podcast because tomorrow it's the same uh, situation. In fact, my youngest is playing a game uh, Arapahoe High School's playing at Coors Field, uh, first thing in the morning. And then I'll stick around and we'll broadcast, uh, the, uh, the Mets game, uh, later on. So here we go with, uh, the start of this on a Tuesday night, we got to watch Kyle Freeland's return against Jacob deGrom. Talk about drawing a tough pony, but it was so good to see Kyle out there. Honestly, when he grabbed the back of his shoulder in spring training and was, you know, jumping around in agony. You thought, this is surgery, something major happened. He is not going to throw another pitch in calendar year 2021. I- I'm shocked that he came back in the month of May. And the Rockies appropriately erred on the side of caution. He threw 74 pitches in four innings. There was There was a lot of good, you know, I think he was really amped up not only because of the return, but also probably because he was facing uh, DeGrom. He gave up a run in the first. Um, You know, he did walk three guys, but he was up to 95 on his fastball. That's how you knew he was amped up, because throwing even harder than he normally does. That's not his game. He changes speeds. He cuts the ball. He has a great changeup, and he's inside, outside. Uh, But we saw some of that. We saw some misses, too, because as I said, he walked three, but he punched out five. And all in all... It was it was a really solid um performance by Kyle and so much to build on and the strength of this team as we've been saying for months and months is going to be the rotation and it has. The last 16 games, the Rockies starting pitching ERA is in the twos. It's one of the best in the game. The offense, especially out on the road, leaves a lot uh to be desired and is in um transition as um We've said before. But anyhow, to see Kyle return and to see his enthusiasm. I mean, this guy plays baseball and pitches like he's a middle linebacker. And I love that. And I love that he's a Colorado guy. And it was awesome to see him back on the field. The guy he encountered, Jacob deGrom. And I've said this on the podcast before. And you probably heard me on the television broadcast say this. I love watching him. If you're a baseball fan, if you're a sports fan, even if you're not. This is the best in the business, and I think years from now, you will talk about seeing DeGrom pitch. I mean, he sits on 100, basically, with his fastball. It has movement. He has great command of the fastball, not just one of these guys who throws hard. And then he has a slider that goes up to 93 miles an hour. It's ridiculous stuff. Now, the Mets were cautious also with him because he had missed a couple of starts, was on the injured list with some... Uh, side tightness. So he threw five innings, only sixty-four pitches. Even though he struck out nine, I mean, just how quickly he can strike guys out. Usually, a guy who strikes a lot of folks out is going to have a high pitch count. Sixty-four pitches in five innings is nothing, and he still struck out nine. But they they pulled him out at that point. Um, so both teams had to feel good about uh, the guys who were returning to the mound. Ultimately, the Mets won the game three to one. Uh, Chichi Gonzalez has been very good lately, gave up uh, on a hanging slider, a home run to Tomas Nito, I should say. Uh, And that snapped the Rockies' uh, four-game winning streak. They've been playing well, and hopefully they can continue. Um, I thought the approach yesterday offensively was much better than we've seen on the road. Uh, Today, you can't even, you just discount it because no one, I don't care where you're playing, is going to hit Jacob DeGrom. So anyhow, that's the, uh, that's the update on Freeland. That was great to see. Also, since we last talked, we alluded to this last week on the program that uh, not only Freeland was coming back, but Brendan Rodgers, uh, healthy uh, from that hamstring injury, which was very significant. He missed uh, more than two months, but he's back in the big leagues. And you know what? He is somewhat picking up where he left off in spring training. We haven't seen the extra base hits yet. But we've seen a different guy. He had two hits. Two of the three hits that the uh, Rockies got against DeGrom were you know, hard ground balls through the right side off the bat of Brendan Rodgers. The other was a home run. I want to leave that out. Off the bat of Ryan McMahon on a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. And we said this on television, and you know this to be true. And if Ryan McMahon was sitting here right now, he'd tell you this. There's no way he would have even made contact with Jacob Degrom's fastball a year ago, especially a couple of years ago, um, he has a much shorter swing, and he turned around 100 miles an hour and hit it out to left center field. It was uh, it was awesome to see, and that tied the game at the time one um, one. But uh, ba- getting back to Brendan Rogers, this guy's not a savior. He hopefully will emerge over time as a really good offensive player and hopefully two-way player who, you know, hopefully can be a 20 home run type of guy um, and will be part of the solution. I keep coming back to that term. Who's going to be part of the solution? Kyle Freeland can be part of the solution. They so can, can control him uh, for a while. Brendan Rogers, still a young player in terms of service time at the big leagues. He can be part of the solution. Ryan McMahon is a guy you hold on to, can be part of the solution. So those are all, um, positive. But keep your expectations for for Rodgers, who has barely over 100 at-bats, even though he was a high number one pick. Um, Keep them reasonable. Yes, he needs to be a good player over a period of time, but let that evolve organically. Transitioning to hockey. How about the Avs? Four-game sweep over St. Louis. Said it last week, the, the tone was set by Gabe Landeskog you know, dropping the gloves a couple minutes into game one. And you'll hear from Ben Hockman a little bit later uh, in our interview with him what he thought of Gabe Landeskog and the fight he had just moments into uh, game one. Interesting to get to perspective of a guy that follows the Blues closely as a sports columnist in St. Louis, but a guy who knows Denver really well because he used to be a sports columnist um, in Denver. So the Avalanche, again, take care of business against St. Louis. Um, The offense was, uh, for the most part, unrelenting. Philip Grubauer remains a wall, and if they're going to win the Stanley Cup, he needs to be that. One thing that's concerning, and as we, as we tape this, the Wild have taken Las Vegas to a sixth game. I still expect the Knights, who are up 3-2, to two, to win that series. And because of COVID, one of the disappointing things is you may get the two best teams in hockey playing each other in round two. And someone's going to go home, that very well could be, as I said, one of the two best teams in hockey. Hopefully, 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 that is uh, the Golden Knights. But um, I expect that'll be the series. The Golden Knights still have work to do. The good thing for the Avalanche, they'll get guys uh, rested up and uh, have fresh legs when they do embark on uh, round two. Hey, one more thing before we get to uh, the interview with Ben Hockman. How great was that over the weekend? with Phil Mickelson winning the PGA in South Carolina. You know, it was a nice story through a couple of rounds. You know, Phil's near the top of the leaderboard. Great story. How many people thought he'd be able to sustain it? It conjured up images not only of Tiger and certainly the, uh, uh, you know, the fan reaction, um, not only on social media, but the fan reaction at the golf course um, following Phil and and you know, <laughs> literally jumping on him, uh, up 18 reminded one of Tiger when he won the masters. Um, this was even more unlikely. Uh, you know, Phil was closer to 200 in the world rankings than a hundred Tiger had wanted East Lake, you know, months earlier Tiger, even though older for being in your golfing prime, I think Tiger was what? 43 or 44 when he won that. um, you still felt it was plausible. Now, I'm not going to say Phil's was greater than than Tiger's. It also brought back images of two other older, great players winning. Of course, the 86 Masters, which has always been celebrated as, you know, where did this thing come from with Jack Nicklaus, uh, you know, virtually coming out of nowhere at 46 to win the 86 Masters. Well, Phil's 50. Phil's been playing, you know, has played some events on the senior tour. And Phil won at 50. And he used all of that knowledge and what he described after a new acute focus that he felt, you know, he had lost a little bit uh, to focus deeply over 72 holes in, in very windy conditions. Um, this, this is right up there with all of those victories, with, with Jack certainly in 86 with Tiger more recently. And I know we always get caught up sometimes in which was greater, which, which was the, the greatest. I don't feel it necessary to rank them right now. But I will tell you that I felt immense joy watching Phil as I was trying to watch the Rockies game and, and keep an eye a little bit on the Avalanche as well. Um, I, I felt immense joy and, and a great rooting interest in seeing Phil Win that, and in the matchups with Phil and Tiger, and and really Tiger and anybody, you, I'm a huge Tiger guy. I'm Tiger through and through. But you know, Tiger is is hopefully going to come back. We'll see at some point after that, you know, horrific car accident. But seeing Phil and and watching Phil uh, over the weekend, that was great stuff, man. That was great theater, and um, it's why this is a wonderful sports time of year. You have some great events like the the PGA moving up. Uh, You have the NBA playoffs going on now. Uh, You know, the Nuggets got even as we speak uh, in their first round matchup with Portland. You have the NHL playoffs, which we were talking about. Major League Baseball is, you know, a quarter of the way through their season. And there are storylines emerging there. So it's really a pretty cool uh, time of year. All right. Now on to our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week. I thought Ben Hockman would be a great guest. We uh, collaborated on a book a couple of years ago, which was um, a fascinating project. Uh, I I think what we came up with, I I know I'm very proud of it. I know Ben is proud of it. Uh, I I think it's an evergreen look at the first quarter century of, you know, roughly of, of the Rockies. Um, and there are stories that are going to linger and be retold over time that are in that book that we collaborated on. And, um, hopefully you'll pick it up if you haven't, uh, you can reach out to me on, on social media and, uh, you know, uh, autograph a copy for you, et cetera. Um, but I learned a lot in that process about writing a book and Ben's done a few of those now. But he has a great perspective on, on Denver sports and now St. Louis sports. And, of course, the Blues just uh, lost to the Avalanches we were talking about. The Cardinals have a guy that uh, was rather large in our town for a long period of time, obviously, in Nolan. So there's a lot to talk about with Ben. And also we break down what it means and what it's like to be a sports columnist in uh, this time frame. I hope you'll enjoy it. I think you will. It's the Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week. Sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and former Denver Post-Sports columnist, Ben Hopper. All right, Ben, you have a unique perspective. I'm going to jump right in. You just uh, watched the uh, four-game sweep, the Avalanche over the St. Louis Blues, and I read, I think it was two games in, I read your column and it basically was the Avalanche are a better team than the St. Louis Blues. Uh, how quickly did you arrive at that?
2: Well, that's a, that's a good question because heading into the series, like, like I, I wasn't naive. Like, I knew that the Avalanche, whether it was the eye test or with the advanced stats, so there was some great stuff written in the athletics that just showed the disparity between the two teams. Uh, even before the series began, but but I but, so I wasn't naive to that, but I also knew that the Blues had just beaten the Avalanche twice in their two most recent regular season games, and there was some optimism that this was still the nucleus that won the Stanley Cup two seasons ago in St. Louis. Um, but then right away, I mean the fact that the Blues goalie had to had to put on a, a Patrick Law type like performance, not to win the game, but just to keep his team from being blown out. Uh, that was in game one. That kind of set the tone. And then after game two, it was just pretty obvious that, that they were on a dead avalanche were on a different level than St. Louis. And I will say, of course, St. Louis was without it. Top point getter, the guy David Ferran, who who got a point per game this season. Uh, but I mean, in a sweep, in a series, of a sweep. It's hard to say that one guy would have like flipped the whole series.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting when a guy is competitive and is well respected and at times outspoken. And a guy I know you enjoy talking to is Ryan O'Reilly. Came out afterwards and said, "Hey, you know, it's clear the better team won."
2: Yeah, yeah, no question about it. And, and of course, O'Reilly ruffled some feathers. With his quote before the series and before the Peron COVID situation, when he said, "We're going to have some fun and we're going to beat them," and I mean, and and, you know, Gabe Landeskog uh, said in the post-game Zoom after Game Four that, "Yeah, that 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 motivated us a bit," but I mean, it's also the playoffs. Like, come on, like the only thing that the ultimate motivation is a silver chalice up in Canada. It's not some words that Ryan O'Reilly rattled off in in a Zoom quote.
0: Yeah. You know, I wanted to ask you about that because I, I did a, a kind of a, a piece last week on the podcast talking about the great leaders that I've encountered or witnessed even from afar in sport. And as we know, the NHL playoffs are a different animal. I mean, if you're a sports fan, even if you're a casual observer of hockey, once you start watching the Stanley Cup playoffs, you, you get hooked. And I think back, as you and I are both from the same neck of the woods in in New York, and, um, and I think back to one of the great leaders I've ever witnessed, and that was Mark Messier, who came to fame naturally with Gretzky in Edmonton, but he led the Rangers to the Cup in 94 and would not be denied. There's so many famous stories about... You know, basically him guaranteeing victory and carrying the Rangers to victory. Ryan O'Reilly, O'Reilly for me, a former ab, cut from the same cloth. But you also, you know, been around Gabe Landeskog a little bit, and I thought he set the tone for that series with the, with the the unlikely fight, really in the opening minutes of Game One. They're similar cats, aren't they?
2: Yeah, but that, you you have a great perspective there on Landeskog and, and how much one fight can affect all 18 guys or all the way through the organization. And uh, it was as simple as uh, the blues player made a potentially illegal hit on Rantanen and Landis Gog said, let's go. You're going to go after my guy. I'm going to go after you. And, we're not talking about the fourth line bully we're talking about the captain and the and the and the first line stud so uh yeah no question that that motivated uh colorado and if anything just kind of set the tone it's like all right we're not here to get pushed around we are the pushers arounders and uh and that's what colorado did in the series physically and and uh figuratively and literally
0: H- how much respect do you think you know Respect is given begrudgingly in the middle of a series, but now in the aftermath, how much respect do you think for the Landis gods, the McKinnons, the McCars um, emanated from that Blues uh, room?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean they did play each other, I believe, eight times during the regular season. So I, I think I, I think they don't need truth serum. I think they, they would just say, uh, honestly, like, look, those are some high-level, world-class players over there. And, uh, and they beat us fair and square. And, um, but yeah, but, and I, and I didn't answer your question about O'Reilly, former Avs standout. I mean, he, he really is a good captain. Um, I know, like, his track record now losing four in a row in the, in his first season as the captain in the playoffs isn't that great, but, I mean, he helped keep the team together. They, they were second, they had the second most man game loss in the national hockey league this year. Normally teams that are in the tops of those of that category aren't making the playoffs. Um and he also willed the blues to a huge win against the Avalanche. Again, now it's kind of almost a moot point, but at the time, it was a huge win uh, when St. Louis beat Colorado, and it was O'Reilly that that got the assist and then the goal on the on the comeback.
0: I, I love. I've come to love St. Louis. I spent a lot of time there, as you know, with my son playing ball at at Webster University. It Seems like I'm there every other week. And and now it is from a major sports standpoint. It's a it's a two sport town. It's it's the Cardinals and it's the Blues. When you compare and contrast. Um, your time in Denver as a, as a columnist with the Denver Post, now at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. How, how would you describe both towns from a sports standpoint?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think the, the fairest way to do it is that the, the Cardinals fandom is very similar in our town here to the Blancos fandom in Denver. And we're looking at, and obviously the Broncos aren't doing that well these days, but we're looking at a team with a lot of history, a lot of winning history. Uh, even in the quote-unquote down years, they're still making the playoffs a lot. And uh, it, it's kind of... and I, I've, I've used this phrase so much that maybe someone listening to the podcast is like, "Oh, Hawkman's stop it with this phrase." But I feel like whether it's the Broncos or the Cardinals, it's kind of like an heirloom passed down in families, and it's, it's, it's similar to a gold watch. And it's like, look, uh, you pass down to your son or daughter this love. This passion for your team, and and how much it means to the community, to the family itself, and uh, the city, and and it's very important. Baseball is important here, just like the Broncos are important there. But but that being said, it's not like the Blues are this afterthought. Um, there, I mean, they had hundreds of thousands of fans at the uh, Stanley Cup parade. I mean, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And we know in Denver uh, how many Avs fans there are, and how many Rockies fans. Fans of the Nuggets and all the other sports too. So they're they're both good sports towns, and and you know I had I had the pleasure of living in both.
0: When when you write a a column, how often is there vitriolic feedback, if you will?
2: Um. Well, I mean, I think it just depends on the topic. Sure. Um, if I if I well, I mean really these days. And I guess this is any days, but definitely in the past few years, um, the the vitriol is is when there's any uh, toe dipping into politics. And last summer, and we're having you and I are doing this podcast on the on the poignant the sad anniversary of the day George Floyd died one year ago. And you know, after that happened a year ago, that that led to a lot of changes in sports and a lot of changes in sports writing. And St. Louis is a, is a red town and in a red state, and I'm not talking about the Cardinals. I mean, it could uh, be more of a red state. I mean, St. Louis does have some, some liberals and such. But, I mean, I would write these things about how the Cardinals are standing up for their black teammates and how the Cardinals want to make change in society. And the vitriol, to use your word, was just potent and overwhelming. And, and, I, and, it, and I was like, all right, I've got to write about this even more then. Because we got to we got to try to make some changes, and you know, and that's the thing as a columnist. I mean, I could write, i write. I mean, I do it all the time. Like I write, oh, this guy's hitting well, or this guy's shooting well, or whatever. And, and people read those, and those are important. But when you have a chance to try to make some change to the way people think, that that's where it's really, really, um, I guess, gets your get your blood going. I,
0: I guess to make a metaphor, um, it would be. You know the the written version of uh, shut up and dribble, right? Um, shut up and write about sports. Don't write about politics. Is that how you took it?
2: Exactly. But well, then and then people say stick to sports, stick to sports. And then well, last year, sports became politics. I mean, I mean, it was it was really weird. Not weird. It was it was really. I guess I, when I said weird, I mean more like it was really unique. It was the first time ever where we saw politics literally on the court of the nba games literally on the field they put blm in the, in the in the mound at bush stadium i mean it was really a beautiful and powerful thing in, in sports and now a year later i just read a piece in the undefeated today by bill roden the former new york times columnist and, and he was he was saying like all right we we used our voices a year ago but what has truly changed and how much are athletes still willing to risk things to stand up for what's right
0: We'll have more with St. Louis Post-Dispatch columnist and former Denver Post columnist Ben Hockman in a moment. But first is for Ideal Home Loans. Brent Ivinson's team does a terrific job at saving you money. Give them a call at 303-867-7000. They are in their third decade now of helping you With your new home purchase, or perhaps it's consolidating debt, or refinancing. And that's been all the rage the last couple of years with interest rates the way they have been and continuing to be low. Um, I'm just finishing a refinance as we speak with Ideal Home Loans. They're going to get you in the right product. They're going to listen, and they're going to lend. And they have terrific people who work for them. And that's why they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. It's that simple. Give them a call, 303-867-7000. Once again, Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. One of the most difficult periods in life can be the breakup of a marriage. Tough times, no question about it. I want to tell you about a family law firm I know will provide you understanding and compassion and provide you with exceptional guidance. You'll find it at one of the top family law firms in the region in Cox, Baker, and Page. They've been celebrated and honored for their work and their compassion for a number of years by U.S. News and World Report, and Laura Page and Mary Cox are consistently listed by them with the best lawyer distinction. So if you or someone you know needs assistance, reach them at cox baker and page dot com and page dot com and mention you heard it here from me and you'll receive a discount on your initial consultation once again it's coxbakerandpage.com, a family law firm now more with ben hoffman well, how do you how do you view yourself and and I think you've answered this partially but uh, you know to be a sports columnist in in Twenty twenty one is it? Is it your job if you crank out four columns a week, Ben? Is it to make people, you know, pause and think about something? Is it to stir things up? Is it to? I mean, how how do you how do you view it? And and also in the same breath, how where do you cross a line in terms of when you are making a personal oh. Criticism of somebody's play, somebody's general managership, somebody's Um, coaching—you know, there's a lot I I know in that question, but I'll let you uh, pontificate if you will.
2: No, no, it's it's definitely a good question, and and for me, like, it's as simple as like, I want to write something that's relevant. I want to write something that once the reader reads it, isn't like, why did I just spend five minutes on that? Uh, I want it to, to be the opposite. Like, wow! I, I'm glad I spent five minutes on that. It's making me think, or it gives me a different perspective on what the Cardinals manager is doing, or what, what the Cardinals manager isn't doing. Or um, and then I, I, I throw this out a lot. You know, you want to make them laugh, cry, or think in every in every column. Uh, um, you know, so sometimes it is a, a cry column, sometimes it is a think column, and occasionally even it's a laugh column. Uh, so there, there's definitely that. Um, that, that, that's my goal, if you will. And when it comes to, like, your second part of the question, which is, which is a great way of looking at it, is like, it's like, just like, how do you approach, um, being mean without being too mean, I suppose? And I, I deal with that a lot because, um, I've, I've gotten that where, like, they're saying, the, how dare you say that about the Cardinals or this or that? You know, like, Matt Carpenter is a perfect example, former National League All-Star, MVP, vote getter a few years back even and now he's falling apart and he can't hit a pitch and when he does he has to write another shift and i would do some tweets and these aren't even articles these are just tweets and the fans will write back like how dare you he's a he's trying his best and i'm like i've also gotten many tweets that said the st louis media is too soft so it's like it's like well what's the what's the middle ground like how I mean I guess we're just trying to find the the best way to say Matt Carpenter ain't Matt Carpenter anymore.
0: Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I go back to where where we're from, and I laugh sometimes at the softball questions that are lobbed, you know, after games and then you look at some um, and I love believe me you know how much I love living in Denver and, and privileged to live here and do what I do um but you know if the if the you know if Joe Torre was managing the Yankees or currently you know Luis Rojas with the Mets or uh, you know Aaron Boone after a game decisions in game decisions are inquired about and followed up upon in even in the zoom call press conference days, and, and oftentimes, not just in Denver, um, but in you know, a lot of towns, you're not going to really get that kind of query.
2: From our end in St. Louis, you know, there's such a thirst for, for similarly to what you described in New York of why in the world did he put that pitcher in and, that, and the other pitcher. And funny enough, um, it's kind of become a, a thing with, with Mike Matheny, the former manager, who, of course, was, was uh, fired a few years back, and one of the things about him was that he, he wouldn't really open up and explain his decisions that much. It was more of a, but like, I'm sitting on the high horse and I make all the decisions and a lot of them work. By gosh, we make the playoffs a lot. So clearly I'm doing okay. And when I make a bad decision, so, so be it. I'll make a good one tomorrow. But now in Kansas City, he's kind of changed his way and he's really explaining things to the media, thus the fans about why he did things, and, and that's what we try to do in St. Louis, too. Um, but it's a, it's a fine line, and I admit it. It's like we know, whether it's you, me, the beat writers, where we know a, a lot about baseball, but we don't know 100% of the information about the current team in regards to health, in regards to, if you will, mental state, uh, things like that. And so we don't know always which relievers truly were available or or if there's something that the manager just can't admit um you know to to the uh to the fans about a certain pitcher and the manager's got to eat it you know um I mean clearly we've all had days at work where we weren't our best and it had nothing to do with our talent but it had to do with what was going on in our lives but we don't how often do we hear about that with a player very seldom yet all of us go through stuff so clearly players are too
0: how's that nolan arnado guy doing uh, in st louis and how well was he received
2: i mean it's it's kind of over the top but again i mean when you think about the st louis fan uh, i don't think you would th- you would think it would happen any other way um you saw the curtain call uh, on opening day for his home run and and his enthusiasm for it and it's been, it's been a great match so far. And, and I mean, he's, he's having a pretty good year. His OPS is 872, so it's not in the 900 like the Rockies fans remember, but it, it's 872, much higher than most Cardinals do. Uh, the Cardinals, even though they made the playoffs in 19 and in 20, uh, have not been a good hitting team, uh, in the past two years. So he's really, really enhanced the offense.
0: He has and it's interesting, you know, the Cardinals are are doing fine, but um, I present this regularly, whether it's uh, on television, doing the Rockies or on the podcast or in casual conversation. This sport has been and will always be about pitching and look no further than the the Angels. And I know Mike Trout's going to be down for a fairly significant period with the calf injury. But even when they were rolling out, you know, Trout in the middle of the lineup followed by Shohei Otani in the middle of the lineup and, you know, Justin Upton can still swing it, Walsh, you know, they have some... They have some name players, some bona fide stars in that lineup. They're still where they've been, and that is below five hundred because they don't pitch. And so with St. Louis, a great history of success, and Nolan certainly was a tremendous pickup, and Goldschmidt in the middle of the lineup. But you're at the end of the day, you're going to have to pitch if you want to make the playoffs or run deep in the playoffs.
2: Precisely, yeah. And that's, that's what's been exciting for Cardinals fans, and you have to tip your hat to— uh, Boulder, Colorado native, John Moselock, president of baseball operations here, uh, because he's developed a system with, with his the people he works with to develop pitching. And every year it seems like there's this new guy uh, that's, that's going to crack the Cardinals rotation and, and make an impact. And they're also not afraid to take risks. They they brought in K.K. Kim from Korea, and uh, he was a 30-something or late, I think he was 30, in his 30s when they brought him over. And uh, and he's been a great fit. And then even Adam Wainwright, what a story that is! Adam Wainwright turns 40 this year. Um, I mean, 40 years old. He's the oldest player in the National League, I believe. And he is pitching deep in the ball games, flirting with complete games, and and getting some wins and getting some important innings each.
0: Well, Rockies fans know that because he threw an absolute gem against Colorado. It looked like a flashback to Waino from a decade ago uh, against Colorado. And that's one of the reasons I, I mean, the Rockies have, uh, as we tape this, have won four straight. Um, and they have, you know, a, a real difficult time on the road. They're just three and 17, uh, but they've been doing okay at home. And, and surprisingly, uh, the best part of their team is their rotation. And again, you keep coming back. If you can pitch, you got a chance, uh, a chance to compete. What, when you go back and look at your days at, at the post and, and living in Denver, and I know you still try to get out here a fair amount, what pieces are you most proud of that you contributed, uh, to, uh, to the, the sports, uh, world, if you will?
2: That's a cool question. It plays off our, our baseball theme. Um, when I, the summer of 2015, the sports editor Scott Montserrat let me do this project that I called nine innings. And it was literally nine articles for nine Sundays during the summer, and each one was about Colorado and baseball in some capacity. And it was just so much fun to write. And the, the, the first one was um, sitting with a uh, married couple who was blind sitting with them in the outfield at, at, at Coors Field, as they go to a ball game. And just how, how do, I mean, how do they experience the game? Uh, how, I guess I was to say, how do they see the game even though they can't see? And I mean, there's some touching storytelling in there, and and uh, I did a piece in that about Joey Meyer and the 582 foot home run in 1987 at, at Mile High for the AAA's Zephyrs, and and a lot of stories in between about a guy serving our nation who was in a, in Afghanistan and following Hubaldo Jimenez and listening to the Drew Goodman broadcast that was sent over to him. And just just a lot of neat stories that that I was honored to share. And that's that's the whole point. Like, fans know so much already about their teams, about their players. It's up to us as the journalists and storytellers to try to find something they don't know already and share it with them. And I tried that with the Nine Innings Project.
0: Did you feel while you were here, and you touched on this a little bit earlier because – uh, you know, fans of the Broncos are absolutely ravenous about their team. And, and I actually found it to be, and, and still do at times, just overload. I mean, I want to see the Broncos do well. Um, but, you know, when I was doing talk radio and, and it's, you know, it's May 10th and you're forced to talk about who the backup left guard is going to be. I, I, I. Did not find that very compelling. Um, did you, Did you, from a columnist standpoint, feel like or were pressured to, hey, you know, it's been four columns since you wrote anything about Dove Valley?
2: Yeah, um, not, not pressured from, like, my bosses per se, but that, that really is what you've made reference to there. What every columnist in every city kind of battles. It's like, yeah, there's so many fans of this particular team, Cardinal St. Louis Broncos, they're, they're like, shouldn't I provide as much coverage and analysis as I can? But then it's also like, it's like, I want to, A, reach out and, 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 and write some stuff for the fans of the other team. And I also want to write about topics that otherwise wouldn't be written about at all. And, the, you know, I, the most recent thing I wrote for the St. Louis paper was about this softball team, University of Missouri softball team. And, you know, the, basically it was, I, I wrote it, not because I'm a softball fan or anything. I, I just felt like they're doing really well and more people need to know about that, and uh, they're hitting a bunch of home runs, and I wanted to like, give them a shout out, if you will. And uh, so, so there is that. It's really difficult to answer your question. How many, how many Broncos columns do I do? How many Blues? Or excuse me, how many Avalanche? How many Nuggets? And how many Rockies? And the one thing I, I want to say about Denver fans is like, and I, I think that they get a bad rap, maybe even within Denver, is that. I don't think people realize how many diehard Rockies fans there are. There are a lot. There are people that are really, really passionate about the Rockies and follow the stats and break down the analytics and they they fancy themselves GMs from their couch, you know, for better or worse. And I think a lot of people just look at Rockies fans as like, you know, the 20 something guy that moved from Kansas city or, or San Diego to Denver and he and his, Friends are going to the ballpark to have some beers and catch an ending. But no, I mean, yes, that, those people exist. But there are also a lot of very passionate fans, and and I, I and and that's why it's so frustrating when the team's not doing well because I know there are people that are really hurt. By the by, the frustrating aspects of the team.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, obviously a beautiful venue. It's beautiful to be outside in Colorado, and you know sometimes you feel like you know me and you could go put a uniform on, and thirty five thousand people are going to show up just because it's such a a pleasant place to be. But you're right; there are a lot of people that that care deeply, and and we heard from a lot of those folks when you know the very unpopular deal was made with the the team you cover now on a regular basis um, with Nolan. Uh, you know, going there, so uh, the, that that's kind of the business of sports, which is never fun uh, to to discuss. Have you had any I, I've always wanted to ask a columnist this and not knowing Kisla and woody and and some some good ones for for a long time. Have you ever felt uncomfortable or had uncomfortable encounters after writing a column? I mean, I'm sure you got after Mike Matheny at some point in time. Um, because he could be low-hanging fruit. And what was that encounter like, you know, the following day?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So I will say, like, I don't think people, and I'm not trying to knock our, our industry, but I don't think people read the morning, athletes and, and coaches read the morning paper religiously the way it used to be done in previous generations. Um, and you, it, you know what I mean? And there, there used to just be, fewer options i mean now we have our, our phones and there's websites and blogs and there's just so much content and a lot of it's great uh but it just it used to be where it's like all right the only way i manager of the saint Louis those cardinals and getting my news on the or reading about the cardinals is what's in this printed paper the next morning on my doorstep oh i'm going to read it and the columnist says i stink all right i'm going to yell at him the next day but it's not really like that as much however one of my favorite like anecdotes well i have two anecdotes actually like that one is um in denver i wasn't even a columnist. i was the beat writer and jr smith was on the denver nugget and if if fans remember him i mean he was one of the most talented humans in the nba every year but he wasn't even a starter and wasn't even a a marquee player for most of those years kind of like a, a guy that just you know, did, didn't maximize his talent for, for, he wasn't very mentally strong. He didn't approach the game like a true professional. And I'd write about that occasionally. And, and he, he shut me down. Like he, which was fine, but he, he said, I'm not talking to you and uh, and got really mad at me one day in the, in the locker room and I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go interview Carmelo because he's actually, I didn't say this to him, so I'm like, I'm like all right, I'm going to go interview Carmelo because he's a good player on the team, you know, but, uh, I mean, you definitely have those situations where the athletes do hear about what you wrote uh, and they get mad, and, and, and an anecdote I, I share sometimes about uh, St. Louis is is Yadier Molina, so um, I spent my childhood in St. Louis, and my family moved to New York later on, and I spent a lot of time in that area as well, uh, but st louis yadier molina is like the guy and for a lot of my buddies he's their favorite player and so when i became a columnist in 2015 in st louis i i got a chance to to interview yadier molina and it was for lack of a better word cool and um i was really excited to kind of get in his world and have him enter mine but uh right away like that first week or so I, i took a risk with a column It was September and the Cardinals were doing really well. They were surely going to win the division and Yadier had a hurt thumb and he was still playing and he was hitting very, very poorly, like ridiculously poorly. So I wrote, I'm like, gosh, if he's going to hit as low a batting average as Tony Cruz, the backup would hit, they might as well just start Tony Cruz and let Yadier rest his thumb for October for the playoffs. I thought it was a pretty good take and a a clever way to look at things and The next day, I go into clubhouse, and Yadier Molina spots me and screams, new guy, new guy. And he starts screaming at me, and he's standing up for himself. He's standing up for Tony Cruz, and I'm trying to defend myself. But the whole time, I'm thinking, man, if my buddies could see this. (laughs) Yachty's yelling at me Yachty our guy so it's kind of, it was a, That was a very funny Welcome to St. Louis moment
1: for me
0: Well the, the natural follow up is Over time have you repaired that relationship Because sometimes at the end of the day Quite honestly you have to not care Because it's not like you're going in there To be buddies and, and go out to dinner With those guys um, and, and you have to yeah. just understand You're doing your job um, w- What happened in the aftermath Yeah
2: that's a, that's a good way of, of, of asking and it was drew uh you know time heals wounds i mean he was mad for a while and then things got better in 16 i mean I'm, but then i remember writing another thing that ticked him off and we got into it again and you know it's just kind of like a roller coaster up and down and you know things are okay with us now and i'm just i mean i can't i can't cater my job or tailor the way i write to, to make sure certain people are happy i have to do my job the way i'm supposed to and I'm, I'm sure as the years go on, he'll get mad at something else I write. But hopefully he's read a lot of things where I've praised him and captured his amazingness. And he was like, hey, that was really nice of Benjamin for doing this.
1: We'll have more of Drew's conversation with Ben
0: Hockman of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch right after this. Hey, everybody, it's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. Time to hammer the over and score some cash. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance to lower the over-under on a featured playoff game. All players who place a bet on the featured basketball game will have a hand in lowering the over-under on the game. That's right. For every 1,500 players who bet the over on the selected game, the over-under will drop by one point. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code GOODMANPODCAST when you sign up to hammer the over. Again, that's Goodman Podcast. Go to the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and download it now.
1: Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Now back to Drew and Ben Hockman from the St. Louis
0: Post-Dispatch. I think all of us, to a certain degree, are thin-skinned and maybe athletes more so than the average person, you're doing your job. When, when I talk to people and, and obviously I'm, I'm doing the hometown team, so I'm not critical very frequently or, or just mildly critical. But on the rare occasion, George Frazier, who, who got his start basically in St. Louis, uh, as, as a cardinal, as you know, um, I remember George, uh, and this goes to another great cardinal who was a great Rocky, Matt Holiday. And George goes way back with the Holiday family. It's a great baseball family, and it's a wonderful family. And Matt is a wonderful guy. Um, but it, I think George on the air, there was a misplay in left field, and, and George kind of criticized his play, and um, on, on that, you know, literally one event and. And his mom said to him, because she knew him, she came up to him. She happened to be in town, you know, a day later and, and said, you know, why'd you get after Matt? And George kind of cut her off and said, I'll tell you what. She said, for every, everything I say that's negative about Matt, I will give you $1,000. For everything positive that I say about Matt, you give me $10. He said, I'll own your house in the, at the end of the season. And, and it was a great way of putting it because... Um, I I think sometimes overall athletes don't, not not across the board, but a lot of athletes, Ben, don't understand the economic equation of why they can achieve the kind of financial success that sports will provide. And you know what? You're part of it. Television's a huge part of it. Um, And if they grasp that, they understand, okay, this comes with the territory.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. I I had one more I just thought of when I was in – new orleans i was young in 22 23 and they had a player named matt Sapicki, who had a cup of coffee in the majors and and he was their their slugger on the triple a team in new orleans he had this really i mean after all these years this is one of the most like poignant stories i've ever done he shared that so his father passed away and at every single game he leaves a ticket for his dad um you know, they, they, the guys come around the clubhouse. They having who, who do you have tickets for? Got friends, family. Every game, he leaves a ticket for his father, um, which is such a touching thing. And he shared that. And I, I wrote about it. And I saw him the next day, and I'm, I was pretty proud of the piece. And he and he came up to me. He's like, and he he said, "What was that blank you wrote about me?" And I'm, I thought he was like. Kidding, of course, because it was such a beautiful story, his right. story. And I'm like, oh man, yeah, what are you talking about? And he's, and I had forgotten I did this, but like in the 23rd paragraph, I described Matt Sapicki and kind of described his, his larger body and said he kind of looked like a, a beer league softball player, yet a guy who could make the major leagues. And apparently, the team saw the article. They didn't, they didn't care about the Twenty-two beautiful paragraphs about Matt picky beforehand. All of his teammates were calling him a beer league softball player. Thanks to the twenty-third paragraph. And he was getting so much grief, he was mad at me. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's um, uh, that. That's sometimes the world, uh, especially as a columnist, that you live in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna segue to a, a project that um, you know. I know you're embarrassed that I'm gonna bring up, but it has to be the you know the the proudest uh, you know moment of your career, and that was the collaboration uh, with me in writing uh, that book. I mean, that that clearly has to be your finest hour, despite uh, the number of other books you've written, I would think.
2: Oh, I love all my books the same. It's like a, a horror, yeah. No, but, I mean, I'm super proud of what we produced, and I mean, there are some great stories in the book, If These Walls Should Talk, Colorado Rockies by Drew Goodman and Ben Hawkman. I, I'm proud of that book.
0: Well, I learned. I, I, let me tell you what I I had a blast doing it, and I learned a ton from you. Um, I still have our um, which you helped set up because you know I'm more on in so many ways, but technically I'm a more. And you set up the you know so I could get on a computer and, and type some things in, or, or you know put an interview that I did on there. And, and and Ben, your it was like over 500 pages, I think, on on the joint um, Google Doc and. How you would move, you know, bytes from here and, and move them into, you know, different chapters and make this say, hey, this applies here and this will work. I mean, I, I found it fascinating um, to see how that works, because it's different. I mean, your ability to write books uh, you know, it's completely separate from when you put together a, you know, a piece on Tuesday afternoon about where the Cardinals are or, or, or yeah. the, you know, the, the lady softball team. So, um, I, I learned, I learned a ton and it was, um, it, it was a, it was a really fun project. But, um, again, I'm, I'm always blown away by people like yourself who, who are able to organize, you know, this massive amount of, of stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a cool, uh, Mountains to climb, I guess to use a, a Colorado cheesy phrase. But yeah, I mean, I mean, no question about it. I mean, we wrote a book about a, a franchise of decades and decades of baseball, and we had to capture it and, and, and put it. But I knew we I knew we needed to open with the original game one sixty two and uh, one sixty three. Excuse me, one sixty three. And uh, and that was that was a heck of a chapter that we put together, and what a fun way to start the book. And yeah, it,
0: it was. And and the, and the neat thing is, and you've written some of these also. I know you have that one out on the Cardinals right now. Is that um, there? There's evergreen to it. That it, it doesn't just apply in, in the season, if you will. That it was written, um, it, it applies um, for anyone that you know for you, like a, which you wrote with the Cardinals. Where hey, if I'm a Cardinal fan, I can pick it up five years from now and and still learn a lot and, and uh, be entertained by the stories within. And I feel that's what uh, we accomplished with that Rockies uh, project as well. Totally,
2: yeah. I mean, you, I tweeted, you know, I saw you saw the tweet. I was at the Tattered Cover the other day in Denver, and I saw the book, and that was in 2021. And, yeah, hopefully when I'm there in 2041, the book will be on the, on the shelves, and it will be similarly relevant because it's just great stories about the local team.
0: It may it may be that same book you took a photo of. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hey, what? Uh, real quick before I let you go, what project? Um, what you, what you working on right now?
2: Well, I mean, I, I I thought it'd be I thought it'd at least be in Game Five in Denver. Game Five, right? Win one, right? St. Louis. I thought I'd be in Denver right now for uh, the the hockey playoffs. Instead, their season is over thanks to your town's Colorado Avalanche. So. So now I'm just, just hunkering down on, on the Cardinals. And, and you, you mentioned I've had the Cardinal book out now uh, about the 2011 team. So it's really just, just all Cardinals and apparently occasional uh, women's softball.
0: Well, there you go. And you got uh, one, of your, one of your colleagues did a great piece on – the Webster Gorlocks and Wash U, two of the top uh, teams in Division Three baseball in the country, and they're all within uh, you know a stone's throw of one another. So you got you got that in your backyard, also. With I say that without bias,
2: without bias, right? You just you just love a good baseball team, regardless who's on the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's good stuff. Hey Ben, it's always great catching up. I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate the time. Continued, uh, you know, great success. And one of the neat things about uh, the world we live in now, you don't have to live in St. Louis to go read your your pieces, as you know I do on a regular basis. And um, you know, it's great stuff. I mean, you're able to to strike a balance, and, and um, I love how you articulated it earlier. Um, I'm probably going to butcher it, but you know, make, make people think, make people laugh, make, make make people cry. It almost reminded me of the uh, of the Jim Valvano favorite, famous speech at the ESPYs when he was when he was dying that you know that's a great day man that's a great day
2: totally totally yeah thanks for having me on and yeah the Colorado fans I hope you know how lucky you are to have Drew as the broadcaster I've listened to a lot of broadcasts in a lot of cities and Drew's one of the best
0: well uh, the check is in the mail on that Uh, so (laughs) thank you hey Ben be well and uh, and we'll talk soon man definitely take care man really appreciate Ben Um, appreciate his take on a variety of things, and he's become a friend, um, you know, through the years. And uh, he he's a really good sports journalist. He's a really good sports journalist. and He's a good guy. Uh, he reminded me of a story that I got to share with you. He mentioned Joey Meyer, and he did that nine innings piece with the Denver Post, and. He went out and, and uh, you know, with old Mile High Stadium, he told the story about the 582-foot home run by Joey Meyer. Those have been in Denver for a long time. Remember that monstrous home run that Joey Meyer hit with the Denver Zephyrs. Now, for those that may not remember Joey Meyer, he played for a little bit in the big leagues, never had the, the minor league... Um, the, the numbers in the major leagues that he had in the minor leagues. I mean, this was a, a huge man. He was like six foot five and 265 pounds or so. And we'll get back to that height and weight in a moment you know, when I tell this story. And um, and Joey hit some enormous home runs, but none further than the one that was measured at 582 feet at old Mile High uh, Stadium. So here's my story. Back in the day... I would do some Zephyr games and this is I guess late 80s and the Zephyrs were playing in Oklahoma City and I will never forget this the game's over and go back to the hotel you know grab a little bite and I'm and it's it's now after midnight I'm in my hotel room and I'm on the phone there ain't no cell phones then I'm on the phone in the room with my uh, girlfriend in Denver And we're chatting, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. Well, nobody expects a knock on the door in any hotel. And I didn't know anybody in that town. It's not, you know, I had no idea who it was. I said, hold on a second. So I go to the door, and this is like out of a movie. I look through the peephole, and all I see literally is a chest. And I can kind of tell it's Joey Meyer. And, and so I opened the door and I said, what's up, Joey? And he's obviously had a few um, libations. And he said, Drew, why are you making fun of my weight? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I was talking to my girlfriend after the game. And she said, you were making fun of my weight. And then I remembered exactly what I had said on the air. And that goes back to something I was saying in the podcast a moment ago. I said... No, Joey, I just repeated, you know, you're a big guy. And I, I said, you're listed at 6'5 and 265 pounds. And I just said, you know, I was trying to underscore how how big a person you are. I said, you know, 265, 270, maybe 275. I said, I wasn't trying to make fun of your weight. I was just, again, trying to describe how large a person you are. And he looks at me, and again, he's pretty hammered. And he looks at me, and this guy could squash me. He could take me with one hand and throw me out the window. And he looks at me, he goes, accepted my explanation. He goes, Okay, Drew. And I think he like kind of patted me on the shoulder. And he would turn around, did an about face, and walked right out of my hotel room. I was like, Wow, dodge one there. It's the only time I had a player ever visit uh visit me after a broadcast, but that was Big Joey Meyer. So I won't forget that one. Anyhow, a reminder as we always do to make sure you uh, download the DNBR Boys, their Rockies, uh daily podcast uh, with Drew Creaseman and Patrick Lyons. They do a a marvelous job of covering the team each day, and and they're kind enough to allow me to join them uh, once every week, and we have fun uh, kicking around baseball and stories and that sort of thing. Big thanks again to Ben Hockman. Big thanks to you for for always uh, being on board. Tell your friends about us. uh, Download, subscribe, all those things I'm supposed to say. And until next week, have a safe week, everybody. Be well, and we'll see you for podcast number 99 right here. Take care.